Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. And I am really happy to be coming to you today, January 1, 2021, when this is being posted, with episode 150. In 2020, we produced 37 episodes, the most ever in one year. We also had more downloads than ever before, with two of our episodes getting more than 1,000 downloads each the first time we broke that barrier. We're really happy. Folks, this is poetry. Imagine a poetry reading where a thousand people show up. This is our annual retrospective, where we look back on a few selected episodes from the past year. Obviously, we encourage you to go back and listen to all of our past episodes, all 149 of them. Back in episode 115, Dean Rader, co-editor of a new anthology, Native Voices, Indigenous American Poetry, Craft, and Conversations, read us a few poems from the collection and talked about it. And one of those poems, which is extremely impressive, is by Wendy Rose. It's the Excavation at the Santa Barbara Mission. Excavation at Santa Barbara Mission. And... um... Uh, one of the things that uh, Wendy has been calling attention to for a long time is the role that Native communities played in the settlement of California, but m- more specifically, the history of uh, reprehensible violence enacted on Native communities uh, within the mission system. And so this is the poem called Excavation at Santa Barbara Mission by Wendy Rose. And there's a little epigraph to it. And it's this. When archaeologists excavated Santa Barbara Mission in California, they discovered human bones in the adobe walls. My pointed trowel is the artist's brush that will stroke and pry, uncover and expose the old mission wall. How excited I am for like a dream. I wanted to count myself among the ancient dead as a faithful neophyte resting there and in love with the Padres and the Spanish hymns. A feature juts out. Marrow like lace, piece of a skull, upturned cup, finger bones scattered like corn and ribs, interlaced like chola. So many bones mixed with the blood from my own knuckles. A dig and tug in the yellow dust. How fragile, 
they have become to float and fall with my touch, brittle white tips shivering into mist. How helpless I am, for the deeper I go, the more I find crouching in white dust, listening to the whistle of long bones breaking apart like memories. My hands empty themselves of old dreams, drain the future into the moisture of my boot prints. Beneath the flags of three invaders, I am a hungry scientist, sustaining myself with bones of men and women asleep in the wall who survived in their own way. Spanish swords, Franciscans in their rosary whips who died among the reeds to wait. Communion wafers upon the ground, too holy for the priests to find. They built the mission with dead Indians. 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 Cheryl Nothi, featured on episode 136. From Montana was Montana Poet Laureate from 2011 to 2013. She's also the founder of Montana Poetry in Schools. And she read a striking poem, among others, called Her Broken Hands. All right. This one is called Her Broken Hands. My friend of many years next to me on the couch cries, cradling her hands in her lap over the broken bones in her fingers and her wrists. Defensive wounds on a child. No doctor was ever called. When she complained about the beatings and her throbbing bones, her mother told her, nobody wants to hear about what they did when they were drunk. Nobody wants to hear it. Just a little ways up the road here in Vermont, on episode 117, we had Camille Guthrie join us. And she read a poem which is insightful, intelligent, and funny, called During the Middle Ages. You're going to enjoy this. Speaking of humor. Yes. Let's hear this other poem, which I think is really funny. So I will also introduce this one. It's called During the Middle Ages. About five years ago, I went through a midlife crisis, and previous to that, I thought... A midlife crisis was a joke. I didn't take it very seriously. I thought it was something that men did at a certain age and would buy a red car. (laughs) But I went through one and it wasn't a joke. It was very difficult. And I needed to find ways to get through it. And I found self-help books, vapid, dissatisfying. And one of my strategies was to think you know let's say if we lost our electricity in a snowstorm the whole day and I would you know think to myself I'm like a I'm like a frontier woman now you know I used to live in New York City and now I live in rural Vermont and there's no electricity but of course I wasn't a frontier woman and the electricity would eventually return so I got this idea of having writing a poem about this habit of mind of making a his finding historical companions mm. to um, feel allegiance to other women struggling in time, but also to comfort myself and a- appreciate what I had. Mm. 
Okay, so that's where this poem came from. Okay. All right. During the Middle Ages. Oh, God, I am so fat. I cry all the time. A kitten scrubbed with a toothbrush on line makes me sob. I'm so heartless. Seven species of bees are now endangered, and I didn't do a thing. Didn't even send any money to anybody doing any good. And I can't lose weight. I skipped yoga. I'm so hot all the time. So broke. So pathetic. No wise investments. Should have bought a 7-Eleven on a busy corner when I was 7 or 11. Nobody wants to lick my neck. Nobody wants to hold my hand at the doctor's office. Nobody to grow old with me. I'm so crabby. To pluck my beard, feed the cat I don't have, and read me endless Russian novels at night. All the ones I still haven't got to. So greatly depressing. Where are you, handsome? Are you driving in your car to come visit me? Bringing a bottle of wine and a present so gallant? A new translation of Akhmatova? I love it. No? Well, I guess it's better than living in the real Middle Ages when some shithead priest threatens you with hell to pocket your last coin and there's no Tylenol so you have to suck on some skullcap seeds and knights canter about knocking you down to take your maidenhood with pointy lances and you have to work as a midwife with no birthing tub. Nobody washes their hands or votes. Nobody knows about DNA or PMS or NASA. There's nothing to read, even if you can read, except boring doctrines or spiritual exercises by Gertrude the Great. I'm not even kidding. Yes, there's Dante, Chaucer, and some sagas, but it's not like you'd get near those books. You'd be lucky to have some jerk recite the latest by Wolfstan the Cantor by campfire just before he beheads your uncles and forces you to rub salve on his abs. You know you'd be sweating in a wheat field at 22, dying from your 10th pregnancy by the bailiff. Courtly love, not a lot of it, I bet. Some local doctor would have to drill a hole in my head to let the demons out because I'd be full of black bile plus heresy as I am today. It would be a very hard time when the sun revolves around the earth and kings are unbelievably selfish and the Roman Empire fell flat. Vikings disemboweled your cousins and the lord of the manor thinks you're cute. It'll be a very long time before pop art and meerkat videos and cotton candy and sexting and fish tacos and girl bands. Everything's just so bad and you have booboos. Hopefully, I'd get shoved into a nunnery to have an ecstatic experience with mystical Jesus. Or better yet, I could be a hardcore samurai laying down justice on the heads of corrupt lords. But that was tough work. Dirty work. You're working for nobility 
who at any period in history are the worst people in the world. And to be an unemployed ronin had to bite Sunday afternoons, no mom around to make you soup. Even if all the brothel ladies want to scrub your back, sometimes you just want a nice nap and some neosporin on your wounds. Ah, if only I could be like the divine Seishonigan, resplendent in silks with seven-layered sleeves, writing in my room about politics, gossip, my lovers, listing splendid, awkward, adorable, annoying things, things that make one's heart beat faster, I wish. Okay, I could be her devoted servant, tidying her papers and fluffing her pillow, but even she found many hateful things about living in the Middle Ages, like crying babies, messy guests, and mansplainers, so irritating even way back then. You better shut up and take your medicine. I had to work over here to not laugh out loud. I was trying to make you laugh. <laughs> I, held, I held it in so many, so many places. I was just ready to laugh out loud or cheer. God, I love that poem. Thank you, God. Charlie. You just go from one funny thing to another. The interesting thing I find about meeting these poets is learning about them personally as well as hearing their work. Nicole Santa Lucia who was on episode 126, lives in conservative small-town Pennsylvania with her wife, and it is quite an experience for her. She previously lived in a big city. Her poem, you're going to hear right now, Notes from the Commonwealth. Okay, this is from the Book of Dirt. If I'm a wife and my wife is a wife, Who vacuums the house and cleans the dishes? Which wife dusts and which one does laundry? Who cleans the dirt off of the dirt? Which one of us sucks dirt and which one spits out dirt? Which one of us doesn't fit into the word wife? If wife is carved into the dirt, whose left breast falls off and whose right eye is dug out? If the wind is prayer, if Dirt is 50% lesbian and 50% void. If it never rains, how do mosquitoes suck the gay out? If we live below ground in our dirt house, do we get squatters rights? Can we sue the land if the land is our witness? If we inhale the earth, if our bodies are silent, tell us what we own. If the law of the dirt is dirt, if wives travel west of the dirt, what, it, what customary law influences property rights? If individual grains of sediment never move, if the force of gravity pulls us deeper into the dirt, if there's no gust of wind or water or ice, our marriage will never sculpt itself into a mountain. If the valley of dead women in the dirt has been our destination this whole time, all we had to do was walk barefoot in our backyard. Geographic and cultural spread is also just just a wonderful thing. And uh, we have Peace Akintade, who is an African-Canadian living in Saskatoon. And we found her because she is the Youth Poet Laureate 
of Saskatchewan. She is the feature back on episode 137. And you'll be very interested to hear of the cultural practice she talks about in her poem, The Engagement Party. I walked into my engagement party and remembered three things to never do when engaged to a teenage gang lord named Ayomide Oguremi Oluwabeye. Don't bring up your engagement during dinner time. In a whisper under your egusi soup, you whisper just loud enough to convey an emotion in your father. You whisper that you secretly want him to choke on his pounded yam. So while he gags on wheat, he might feel a fraction of heartbreak I felt when he sold me for 3,000 neras. 3,000 neras is equal to 10 Canadian dollars. In other words, my worth is equal to two McDonald's Happy Meal or a big pack of socks from Ardeen or four large Slurpees from 7-Eleven. And at this point, I don't know whether to be angry or agree to sell myself for $10 so I might afford those tins for once. I watch with regret as my mother chooses her duty then her daughter, preparing me for the way of the tainted Marriage is a funny way of saying bankruptcy, since the room we slept in reeks of starvation and laughter. Marriage is a funny way of saying sold to the lovely fellow in the back, to the first person who had money in the black hole of a pocket. The marriage made me a hero, a champion, a sacrifice. Do not convey anything to your friends. While they speak of marriage to millionaires, laugh and entertain them. Tell them your type is brooding, eight years your senior and old enough to vote. Tell them your type never saw you as anything other than a sister. We'll teach you how chickens made love and make your heart flutter. Tell them to never fall in love. God knows if girls can actually think of who makes them happy. Do not make jokes with them. To your father, your brother, your male companions. They will rob you of your status of villagers into heroes. And I'll rather be called of sacrifice from those single liquors, those sexist flickers. At least then they will be telling the truth. And I've never seen my grandfather cry, except when I kissed him for the last time when I was 10. We both knew it was due time. Belly rubs would be too sexual and my father's hugs never felt friendly. God forgive me if my family actually loved me. There's a reason we never remember the last time our parents put us down. When engaged at the age of 10, never think anything is out of the ordinary, that he was more than a nice guy, that your culture depends on your gender, that domestic rape was camouflaged as marriage. When engaged to a teenage gang lord, when involved with the Nigerian Mafia, run, end up in Canada, and write a poem about it so that you may know. Thank you. Well, Chris Benson is in South Carolina. He was the feature for episode 139. And um, he talked to me about living in what he called a failed sort of hippie commune in New England. And he also, at one point, was writing coordinator and editor for the Breadloaf Teacher Network magazine. Again, just up the road here in Vermont. 
he uh, talks about found poetry and gives us a little different perspective on that. Well, you, you mentioned before we started that um, you find some poems sometimes. And as I told you, haven't really chatted about found poetry uh, on the podcast. So uh, you want to tell, tell me a little bit about your deal with found poetry? I want to look at the poem and then tell you how I found it. I believe I was in a hospital, uh, maybe visiting someone or coming out of a doctor's appointment. And I was just killing some time waiting, as you always have to do in a situation like that. And I saw this uh, posted thing on a bulletin board, and the, the title was, all in capital bold letters, Effective This Day of Notice. And I started reading it, and it was um, one of these pieces that um, is just a communication that is supposed to um, cover its own ass, if you know what I mean. By that, I mean, um, if as long as this thing gets posted, whoever um, creates some kind of difficult situation regarding the topic, um, they're covered. They don't have to worry. They're not at fault. And I started reading it, and I could not really even make out what it was about. It was something about um, a termination some things that had to be submitted on time. I don't even recall now what it was about. And this poem has um, really evolved so that the content of it probably doesn't resemble the content of that actual notice. Gotcha. I'll go ahead and read it. It's, it's about 25 lines long, Great. one of my shorter ones. It has some lines that are in capital letters and some words, and I will uh, emphasize those with my voice just so you can know. Effective this day of notice. Due to current circumstances and the need for increased security, the agency has enacted the immediate suspension of your status within the agency. A review of your file is ongoing and an evaluation is pending. Be assured that the agency will maintain proper records of your case as required. To certify accuracy of records, an auditor has been appointed to your case. Non-disclosure of his or her identity guarantees impartiality in his or her findings relevant to your status. Outcomes of your audit may include, but are not limited to the following. Number one change of status. Two, declaration of liability. Three, detainment. Four, termination. We guarantee our commitment to your case. The end. You may know Luis J. Rodriguez. He's a wonderful guy and a wonderful poet. And we got a recording of him at the Unamuno Author Festival. We partnered with them, and Jack went over there and recorded a whole lot of their uh, readings. The festival took place in May 2019 in Madrid. Rodriguez's reading was recorded at the bookstore Desperate Literature, an extremely hip place that was sort of headquarters for the festival. Rodriguez is also an activist and the founding editor of Tia Chucha Press. The sound's a little less than perfect on this because it was recorded live in the field, but hey, it's worth it to hear the poem my name is not Rodriguez. From episode 144. If people know as a Chicano, people always don't know how to 
put us in any category. They say we're mestizos, which I don't agree with. We're not mixed up. We're fractured people. We got all this different history. I think what we have is many raices, many roots, and we can go through all of them and traverse all of them, but the most deepest and profound for Mexicanos, Chicanos, as far as I'm concerned, is our indígena, the indigenous. And so we can go to that too. And I, I want to share that with you because my mother was Tarumara from Chihuahua, Mexico. And uh, she shared that she had that heritage. And, and I actually went down there to meet with them and stay with them. I learned a few words. And I want to share with you just one, the greeting that they give to each other, which is Guiraba. And I think it's important for us all as poets here because it actually means we are one. And I see it as we are one people, one po a great artistic community that's trying to change the world through the power of language and words and story. So I'm going to read you the first poem here. It's called, My Name's Not Rodriguez. And really because Rodriguez, is, as far as the Americas goes, only has 500 and some years existence. There's a deeper name that's indigenous that I may not know, even though, by the way, I do have an indigenous name, Mishkoat Islaquilo, but that's a different story. This is a story about not having a name, and I have used Luis Rodriguez. I still use it, but it's not really my name. So this poem is called My Name's Not Rodriguez. And if you... Um, if you get a chance to um, talk to me, you can still call me Luis Rodriguez. I'm just letting you know. Okay, so let me, if you can hold that, I that'd will. be great. Thank you. This is to my mother. My name is not Rodriguez. It is a sigh of climbing feet, the lather of gold lust, the slave master's religion with crippled hands gripping greed's tail. My name's not Rodriguez. It's an Indian mother's noiseless cry, a warrior's saliva on arrow tip, a jaguar's claw, a woman's enticing contours. Can't <laughs> somebody was throwing something at me. It happens. Okay. <laughs> My real name is the ash of memory from burnt trees. It's the three-year-old child wandering in the plain and shot by U.S. Calvary in the Sand Creek Massacre. I'm a Geronimo's yell into the canyons of the old ones. I'm the Comanche scout, the Rada Moody shaman in soiled bandana and running in the wretched rain. I'm called Rodriguez and my, lead, my tears leave rivers of salt. I'm Rodriguez and my skin dries on the bones. I'm Rodriguez and a diseased laughter enters the pores. I'm Rodriguez and my father's insanity blocks every passageway, scorching the walls of every dwelling. My name's not Rodriguez. It's a fiber in the wind. It's what oceans have immersed. It's what's graceful and sublime over the top of peaks, what grows red in desert sands. It's the crawling life, the watery breast between ledges. It's taunt drum and peyote dance. It's the brew for fermented heartaches. Don't call me Rodriguez unless you mean peon and sod carrier, unless you mean slayer of truths and deep sixer of hopes, unless you mean forget and then die. My name's the black-hooded nine-millimeter welding child in all our alleys. I'm Death Row Monk, the eight-year-old eight gum seller in city bars and taco shops. I'm unlicensed, uninsured, unregulated, and unforgiven. I'm free and therefore hungry. Call me Rodriguez and bleed in shame. Call me Rodriguez and forget your own name. Call me Rodriguez and see if I whisper in your ear, life stained with bitter. Poet, performance artist, activist, Jessica Care Moore. I always enjoy the cultural history and the literary history that we get from some of the poets who join us on Poetry Spoken here. Jessica's from Detroit, and in that episode, she talks about being influenced by Haki Matabudi, 
Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee, and many more. The poem she's going to do for us right now is Not Ready to Die, from episode 146. I wrote this poem because someone called me and said there was some uh, uh, artist, a woman artist on award show crawling on the ground in like during her performance. And I was like, what? And I just think, you know, <laughs> like, can we just stop doing that? And so <laughs> I wrote this poem for that moment <laughs> called I Am Not Ready to Die. I am not ready to die a little more today. My nails are polished a bright aquamarine. My skin smells like the ocean. In my hair, I'm wearing the flowers he left on my doorstep. Tiger's eye and turquoise are wrapped around my wrist. Do I look like I'm attempting an early death? My headphones sound like Chardet. I wish these new girls would get the fuck off their knees and transform a room with some subtle power and grace. Chardet doesn't really dance, poet. And that is the point. When did it become okay to die in this country on our knees? The Walking Dead, a 24-hour day spa that they parade in groups. Hell, I need a massage too, but at what price? I gotta stand behind mediocre bars just because the kids rock to it. I've yet to hear an MC destroy the alphabet more gangster than Intazaki, so I ain't ready to die today. Won't participate in the spirit massacre of our children. My throat is on fire, my pen is hot, Intazaki is dead. Intazaki will never die. I'm more alive in my 40s than most of these wannabe Euro inside out millennials. I've graduated from digital slavery masterclass. I read books without screens. I have sex with men my age or not, whenever I feel like it. I love my hair, my ass, my breasts. I'm clear my power is between my ears, inside my chest. Black girl magic doesn't grow between our legs. This is the mythology of men. How much to get off your knees, sis? This pen is a knife stabbing out the hearts of dead trees. These trees are already dead anyway. A walking dead urban forest. We are surrounded so I continue to climb to write because I ain't ready to die today or tomorrow. I'm gonna keep living inside poems you didn't know were left for you. If you would just get off the goddamn floor, you could see all these poems, all this royalty, all this world they attempt to kill you with is really your universe to inherit to change to rebuild get off your knees stop crawling for them stand up queen latifah lauren missy elliott left eye bahamadia rod digger roxanne rhapsody kate valentine mama soul microphones are not stripper poles sonia audrey maya indizaki jane lucille nikki nikki tony asha stacy ann Akira, Mahogany, Elizabeth, Liza, Michelle, and Dagia, Cello, me, us, we need you to stop dying, stop dying, stop dying to be less than who you are destined to be. We need you to outlive death in all its forms. Live, 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 so patriarchy can finally die. The other thing that happened in 2020 was our new special project, Open Mic of the Air. And since pandemic began, we've produced nine episodes with over 90 poets from all around the U.S. and the world, represented our England, India, the Czech Republic, Mexico, Albania, and many more, and almost half of the 50 United States. And we want to invite you to join us by submitting your poems, if you are so inclined. So in the next episode... We may have your poems in there. All you have to do is submit. You can check it out by going to PoetrySpokenHere.com and clicking on the Open Mic of the Air tab to get all the details. And so, this has been episode 150 with many more to come. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you.
You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>